This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody. This is Joya. I am so excited. We are doing the very first of our Explorer Conversation podcast episodes. This is going to be a series of episodes that we will have as part of this podcast where we're going to bring in different experts, different guests to explore and converse and talk about the intersection of these three big topics, these three big ideas, which are travel, continuous learning, and flow psychology. And today I'm delighted I've got Ash with me here on the line, and he is even coming from the Galapagos, which is definitely on my bucket list of travel destinations. And we're going to take this opportunity to start to go into why we even think these are three topics to explore and why they're interconnected and why exploring travel, continuous learning and flow can be such a profitable endeavor. And just yeah, to reiterate, um, oh yeah, do you want to say something just to get us started? I, I was just, I was just gonna say I'm, I'm really excited to be here and talk about those ideas too. Is uh, like you mentioned, I'm uh, talking to you right now from Galapagos, which has been a, a sort of dream dream trip for me as well, and it's my first visit here. And travel and flow and continuous learning is is kind of my life right now, so I'm really excited. <laughs> perfect. It, it makes you the absolute perfect guest get this whole series started. So just to reiterate the show, it is for entrepreneurs. And I even wanted to start with a quote that I love, a quote that comes from Seth Godin, where he says, instead of wondering what your next vacation is, maybe you should set up a life you don't need to escape from. And to me, this even sums up what for myself as an entrepreneur, a whole goal of entrepreneurship is that sense of freedom and what that freedom is all about to live a life that is full of engagement and happiness and working in your zone of genius and really feeling alive and in the moment and making an impact in the world. And I do believe that one of the ways that we can actually go about to achieve this is through combining travel with continuous learning and flow. So this episode is really even meant to be an introduction. I think you and I, Ash, we both have so much just to say about this topic that it's why we're going to need a whole podcast to continue to explore these ideas. But at least we can start to put some of the big ideas on the table here and maybe give people an idea of what to expect in future episodes and get this conversation started with everyone here on the show. So why don't we even start with a little bit about the current state of travel, since you are in the midst of a grand travel expedition. Do you have anything you wanted to say about the current shakeup in the travel industry and how we want to be part of changing travel to make travel experiences deeper and more meaningful? Yeah, well, this is a really interesting uh, time, moment in time to be uh, doing this kind of travel. We're recording this in mid-June of 2021, so 
we're a little over, well, we're almost like a year and a half into the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so the travel industry, especially, you know, for, for leisure, <laughs> travel or pleasure, uh, kind of ground to a halt there for, for much of the past year. And you've mentioned to me before that it, it's kind of been this moment for people to reflect on it. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that kind of take something for granted until you don't have access to it anymore. Or <laughs> so, you know, like another example uh, that I give is, it's been a bit of a struggle finding, you know, good high speed, you know, high bandwidth internet access here in Galapagos to do things like recording this podcast. So, uh, but that makes me appreciate high speed internet that much more. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that right now when it comes to travel. And uh, like you said, it, it even is kind of an opportunity for people to reflect on on what the value of travel is and, um, you know, maybe what they want to get out of travel more once they're able to start doing that again. For sure. To me, it's even an important moment within the whole travel industry where I think we can start to have an influence on what travel can be. To me, one of the most interesting things to come out of the pandemic is a twofold reflection. One, the pandemic made it obvious how we have these amazing technologies now that make it so that we don't have to travel for all the reasons that perhaps we traveled in the past, that we can just have Zoom meetups, we can connect online. For example, the way that you and I are connecting online now, even though I'm in the US and you're in the Galapagos, that technology makes it so that we don't have to travel. And that there's this incredible reason to travel. As you're pointing out, the fact that we haven't been able to travel perhaps makes it more obvious to us the the value of what we've been missing out, that there is something about that in-person human connection. There's something about being there on the ground. I can only imagine, and I'd love to hear you maybe talk a little bit about what it's even been like to be there in the Galapagos. As I said, that's a bucket list trip for me. And I've definitely, I've read the Charles Darwin description of his experiences there. I've seen the photographs. I've heard people talk about it, but I can only just imagine what it must actually be like to be there in person physically and to think about how we can have then these travel experiences that make sure to draw out all of these, the incredible richness of what that in-person experience can be. Yeah, I mean, it's true that we don't have to travel now with the technology available to get some of the same values that we can get from travel, but I think there are still values that you get from travel that you can't fully get in any other way. And I mean, you know, cause like, you know, I can watch documentaries about Galapagos or I can read about it. I can read, you know, the Voyage of the Beagle. Um, and that is amazing. That that really adds to my understanding, but it's, it's not the same as being here myself and experiencing it myself and seeing the things that are described or depicted because even, you know, like in a documentary where you think, well, you know, you're watching like vis- actual visual footage there, you know, going into the future, maybe you'll even have like the ability to do AI trips to uh, remote locations like this, um, which will be amazing. You know, that, that will definitely add another dimension or layer um, to that sort of remote travel substitute kind of experience. But 
but still, I mean, like those kinds of experiences are still curated in a way where, you know, like, I, you know, I've seen multiple documentaries about the Galapagos Islands before. And within a couple of hours of getting here, I, I just, I, I realized that I still had no conception of what this place was actually like. <laughs> it, it was just completely beyond anything that I had ever imagined, even based on, you know, having read and, and, and watched things about Galapagos before. And you just don't get the full range of experience and the depth and breadth from, you know, reading a book or watching a video or whatever, um, as, as you do from actually going to a new place and discovering it. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into this yet, but there is another aspect of, of travel that I think you can't fully replace um, by even though you know you have the ability to connect with people from around the world through Zoom meetups and things now, which are wonderful, but you know actually you know you know again that's like kind of like a very narrow, limited experience relative to actually going somewhere and meeting new different people um, and seeing their lifestyle and how it's similar and different to yours. There's uh, you brought up that Seth Godin quote, which I loved. Uh, there's another quote that I love from Mark Twain which uh, I believe it comes from The Innocents Abroad. Just, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share that here as well. If you have it, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so Twain wrote, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in, on one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. And I think that's very true. I mean, there's a reason why like, we actually have terms for this, you know, like, call somebody with that kind of narrow perspective, you know, we call them provincial. I think travel really opens up your perspective. And there have actually been studies done now that confirm Twain's view about that. There was a meta study that was published in the Social Psychology and Personality Science Journal a few years back that studied five or that examined five other studies about the effect of breadth and depth of foreign experiences on generalized trust. And uh, I I could read the abstract for the study, but basically, you know, they found that uh, breadth of travel highly correlated with generalized trust and, you know, openness to to new people and experiences. And uh, it's interesting. They they really focused in this meta study on on the breadth versus the depth of the travel experiences, as well as on focusing on differences rather than similarities among the countries visited. I think you actually really need both. I mean you have to have the breadth because uh, that you know that provides the material for you to really you know the range of, of different experiences to kind of broaden your horizons but if if that breadth is at a very super superficial level it's only going to take you so far and i think it's also you know you really do need to focus on and appreciate the differences in the places that you're going rather than just kind of looking for the the aspects of it that kind of confirm your existing perspectives and, and way of life but but I think it's also important to to recognize those similarities as well so that you can relate to them on that level so I, I think you really need both I totally agree and when I hear you say this it strikes me how much this goes against what is the status quo of travel right now and maybe now is a good time to remind the audience that this podcast is sponsored by Delve Travel which is an elite boutique travel agency that serves entrepreneurs who have this Seth Godin vision of wanting travel to be more than just an escape 
Delve Travel really focuses on luxury wellness experiences and also serving entrepreneurs with retreat planning and management. But what's been interesting to me is how even this particular niche within the travel field goes against what really has been the status quo of travel. There's a real way in which the industry has divided up travel between corporate travel and leisure travel, that you're traveling either for business or for pleasure. But what about travel for growth and development? And I think we know as entrepreneurs that growth and development is so important to how we succeed in business and how we succeed in life. And Ash, you know, I have this whole rant about why I hate the term leisure and maybe that's a future episode. And also I think we should do a whole future episode on why travel is and can be so valuable if not absolutely necessary for entrepreneurs. But maybe you even wanna share some of your experience with this whole question of whether you're traveling for business or for pleasure. Yeah, um, well, I, I, I do hope that we have future conversations about this because I, I love the way that you get away from that, that false dichotomy between traveling for leisure versus, you know, having peak experiences or peak performance and work. So, so yeah, and that you instead you have this, you say you should have peak experiences that combine the two. For me, that's kind of the way that I've always viewed travel. People talk about travel a, a lot of times as just something that you do periodically when you get a couple of weeks vacation and maybe you, you go somewhere and spend a, a week relaxing on a beach or something. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but if that is the, the height of your conception of travel experiences, I think that's very limiting. <laughs> and uh, for me, I, you know, whenever I'm asked, because this is usually the first thing they ask you, you know, at the airport or even just people that you talk to when you're traveling somewhere, uh, is the first thing they usually ask is, you know, are you here for, are you traveling for business or pleasure? And I never know how to respond to that because uh, usually the answer is is yes, <laughs> both. I, we've talked, before about a trip that I took to Amsterdam, which was partly I was going for an AI conference that I really wanted to go to, but partly I just wanted to go to the Netherlands. So it was never one or the other for me. I, I always try to combine the two. And it's partly that, you know, the the specific, more practical, supposedly so-called purpose of going for the trip like this conference, to me is also one of the the main attractions of the trip for me I'm, it's not drudgery or you know, something that i'm supposed to do it's, it's i'm doing it because i want it it goes back to the seth Godin quote you had at the top that i approach it as trying to set up a life that i don't need to escape from this is i'm doing this because that's where i want to be and what i want to be doing there so yeah and i think you also you've mentioned something related to this about when people are asked on their deathbed their biggest regrets one of the things that they often bring up at the top of the list is that they wish they had traveled more definitely and i'll even add to that i think we're in a really exciting moment now coming out of the pandemic as devastating as the pandemic has been and i'm sure the reverberations will continue one big positive i see coming out of this is that people have discovered that they could work from home. And now this means that they will have the ability to work from 
wherever. And I think we're going to see a future where people have this hybrid lifestyle that is filled with both travel and work, work running simultaneously. So that if in the past, the status quo was always, you worked your nine to five job commuting to the office, that was 50 weeks during the year, and then you'd get two weeks off for vacation. And if that was all you got, then maybe there was even a valid reason to think that you were only gonna spend those two weeks in idleness and leisure and relaxation, or even just drunken parties and the like. But with this new way of working, there's a possibility for a new way to travel. But I think it requires all of us as a society to start to develop this new mindset about what travel is. Because I think even as I start to talk to people about as we've been gearing up to do this podcast and get it all started, that so many people, when they think of travel, they associate travel with vacation. They associate it with that two weeks off. So there is really, I think, a mindset shift that we need as a culture that starts to think about what are these deeper benefits of travel so that we can pursue travel in this way in combination and in integration with our work that leads to a really flourishing life. And I know these are topics we can go on and on about, but maybe we should now start to shift gears and talk about the next big topic, which is continuous learning. And I'll even throw it to you because I know you were the one who really took a stand and put a stake in the ground for that particular phrase, continuous learning, and why you like that phrase even more than some of its seeming synonyms, such as lifelong learning, perhaps, or just adult education. So maybe you want to say something about even the term continuous learning, what it is, why it's a value, and then we can even start to connect it to travel and what we've been saying so far. So yeah, uh, yeah, to tie it back into what we were just talking about, I think when you know people on their deathbed talk about regretting that they didn't travel more, they're not talking about it in the sense of they wish they'd spent more of their time, you know, lying on different beaches somewhere. For me, it, combining the 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 work and the and the pleasure aspects of travel. You know, I'm here in Galapagos working on a book on evolutionary theory. And that ties it into this whole concept of continuous learning where part of being here is actually gathering material for my book and just both from you know the resources that are available here and just from the surroundings. But the term continuous learning I, I even prefer over things like adult education or lifelong learning. Because both of those, I mean, like they're good as far as they go. They're, you know, they're better than nothing, but they there is still sort of like room in, in those to interpret them as, oh, well, maybe you'll go back to school as an adult and like on the evenings or weekends, you'll still do some study and try to keep growing and broadening, you know, your, your range of skills or something. But to me, this idea of continuous learning stresses more this focus on learning is just a continual process or like a mindset and approach that you have that in any situation in life not just as like a part-time thing even if it is throughout the course of your life that in any situation you're always approaching it with the mindset of you know what can i learn from this 
so yeah, just always being open to new information and actively looking for for new information and uh, new connections and sources of new ideas. And I definitely think travel is a very useful tool in in that regard to that purpose. As an entrepreneur, I'll say one of the biggest lessons and perhaps one of the hardest lessons that I've learned so far in my journey was this lesson of always looking for the learnings. For example, to actively seek out opportunities where there's a high probability that you could fail, but that failure is only failure if you don't learn something, that as long as you are learning, you are continuing to grow. And as an entrepreneur, it, it's such a necessary part of how we achieve success in continually problem solving and in the world that we're living in where technology is accelerating, change is accelerating, how it's so important to be continuously learning. And an another aspect of that phrase that I particularly love as well is that it suggests the cumulative effect of all this learning, not just that you're going to learn something here and learn something there, but that this learning is going to be building on top of each other so that life is the journey. And as you go through the journey, the learning continues throughout the journey and it continues to grow throughout the journey. And that's an aspect of it that really excites me. And another important aspect of this idea of continuous learning that I wanna talk about and really stress is talking about the virtue of curiosity and exploration, how this is so important to be a successful entrepreneur and really, I think, to be a successful human being. And I think it's perfect that you are in the Galapagos because to me, Charles Darwin is an emblematic figure of someone who embodied that virtue of curiosity and exploration. So maybe you'd have something along those lines you'd want to share and talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I love that you um, brought up that aspect about learning from, you know, so-called failure or whatever, especially kind of in an entrepreneurial context where being an entrepreneur is about experimentation. And, you know, the first thing you try is probably not going to be a, a smash success right away. You, it's, it's all about making experiments and seeing what works and what doesn't and adjusting and adapting you know to use the evolutionary term and continually growing and learning from there i mean like there's you know there's that famous story about thomas edison where somebody asked him while he was trying to invent the light bulb and he tried all of these different things that didn't work and somebody's like well why don't you just give up and you know you failed and he says i haven't failed i've succeeded in learning a hundred things that don't work <laughs> <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and Darwin is definitely another person that to me exemplifies that approach of just relentless curiosity. You know, I think that is exemplified during his Beagle voyage when he was here in the Galapagos and just studying the, the natural history of all the places he was visiting and the geology and, and the, the different animals and their forms and their geographical distributions and all of these, these facts that would turn into lines of evidence that he would organize into the argument that he ended up making for his theory of natural selection and on the origin of species. Even after his Beagle voyage, which, 
you know, I think it's it's great if people do think of that when when they, you know, they have that association with Darwin as this person exemplifying or embodying this quality of, of continuous learning and curiosity. Because, you know, I think too often people tend to think of him as this armchair sage, you know, we have the, the pictures of him we usually see are this old, long bearded, white haired old man. But I think it's important to remember that even after the Beagle voyage, even when he wasn't able to travel as, as much for most of the rest of his life uh, due to, to health reasons and things like that, he still did find ways to get as much of that value as he could through correspondence with people all over the world and, and asking them to send him samples of different things that, uh, that he was interested in studying. And his correspondence is just mind-bogglingly vast. <laughs> like there's over well over 20 thick volumes of just his correspondence that have now been published in the last couple of decades. Um, and it's amazing, you know, and, and all of it, you know, he's, He's always, always, his focus is always on what can he learn from the person that he is talking to. And uh, I, I think that that is definitely something that should be an inspiration to us all. One of the things I hear you saying is how we know that actual physical travel was clearly so important to Darwin, the voyage of the Beagle, actually going to the Galapagos, that if that had never happened, he would have never had the inspiration or the spark of the idea that turned into his incredible revolution of thought. And to me, what's also fascinating is that we know that even once he got back to England, even though he wasn't able to physically travel so much because of health reasons, he still had what I would call the traveler spirit. What you're pointing out is that he still had that spirit of exploration, curiosity, that he was in correspondence with people all over the world. He was the opposite of provincial, to go back to your quote from Mark Twain there. And, and even that aspect, I think, can be inspiring, especially to those of us right now who maybe can't travel for health reasons, physical reasons. The pandemic is still very much a reality for many people as we are recording this. And while I know one of our big motivations in doing this podcast is to hopefully inspire people to actually travel more, get on the boat, get on the plane, get in their cars, get out on the street and go for a walk, get out there into the world, that even if you're not able to do all of those things, that you can still maintain this traveler spirit through this practice of continuous learning. And to me, it's just, again, how these ideas of travel and learning really complement each other and go together. And I know that's you know, this is part of a, a larger vision for you about kind of the future of education mm -hmm. and, and the sort of model uh, that you want to develop regarding how education might look. Yeah, it's worthwhile throwing it out there, mentioning it to any entrepreneurs who may be listening, who have that sort of vision. I will share, this is my big why. So in, in flow studies, we talk about having a massively transformative purpose and MTP and this is mine that I really want to transform higher education. People who know me know that my background started, I started out in academia, I was on track to become a college professor. But 
through that process, even before I finished the PhD, I realized that the internet had this possibility to transform what education is. And I knew I wanted to be a part of building that future of higher education. And the vision I see is precisely this idea of not just a university where you go for four years and then suddenly everything you've learned is probably out of date in a couple of years anyway, especially with the accelerating rate of change of technology that we're experiencing, but instead a whole new vision of education where you would jumpstart it with some important lessons and then have a whole life of continuous learning. And the big insight that I had was that definitely for sure, we want to incorporate all of the latest technologies there. I think everybody can now see just even from Zoom and what we've had to experience during the pandemic, that online education is a possibility that makes it so that education can scale to so many people and that we want to dig in and exploit and get the most out of all of these technologies. And I do believe there also has to be this in-person, on the ground, in community with real other human beings in the room experience that comes with travel. And in a sense, travel will be the default because we'll be putting together classrooms and groups of people from all over the world. So the only way that we will be able to come together in person is through travel. But more than the default that as we've been exploring here, that there's something really special and unique about these travel experiences when they're done right, that just leads to, well, both optimal performance and optimal experience. And then I think that takes us right into our next big topic, which is flow, because yeah, so, that is what flow is. Yeah. So I just want to comment on, on, on what you were just saying that I yeah, I agree that the internet, um, you know, we've started to see what that can make possible with education with some of these uh, online learning platforms that have emerged over the last decade or so. And in the same way that people are starting to see now that the possibility of working remotely as, as more of a lifestyle and not having to, to be tied to a specific geographical location for their work life, the same can be true for education and, and their studies. I definitely think that's interesting when you kind of combine those two ideas, what that model could end up looking like combining travel and, and education with the, with the kind of tools that we have now. So yeah, I think that's really interesting. But yeah, let's, um, let's talk about flow. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's just put it out there, though. Any entrepreneurs who are listening who want to get involved in this big idea, uh, it is a massively transformative purpose, and it's going to require collaboration from lots of people. So if you want to get involved, reach out. Let's build this thing. But let's talk about why flow is going to be such an important component of this vision as well. So even let's get into what is flow. Ash, do you want to pick up with what is flow? Flow is, it's an idea that was developed largely by the, was he originally Hungarian? Hungarian, yep. Mihai mm -hmm. And he wrote a whole book on it. It was called Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience, I believe. Is that the title? That is it. Okay. So he developed this idea as part of, you know, he's working with Marty Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania, who together they're kind of considered the fathers of positive psychology. 
Martin Seligman was focused a lot on happiness or, or uh, what they call in psychology subjective well-being and how to measure that and how to make psychology, the study of psychology more interested in people's positive experiences and and traits and things like that, rather than just trying to diagnose you know, psychological illness and treat it. So instead of, you know, just like, well, how do we fix the problems? Like, how do we actually define a healthy psychology would be and, and how do we help people aim for and achieve that? And so Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, you know, to him, one of the biggest aspects that he noticed of that was this experience that uh, he called flow. And it's, you know, it's uh, an experience that a lot of people are familiar with and a lot of different domains and there have been a lot of different names for it you know athletes tend to call it like being in the zone or something like the runner's high but it's a state of peak performance where you are just having like these peak experiences you're performing at your best and is characterized by several different things that, that Csikszentmihalyi distinguished do you, do you want to go into some of those a little bit Joya? Sure yeah so I'll just state again so the definition of flow is that it is the optimal state of human consciousness when you feel your best and perform your best and i know this is a whole other episode that i know i definitely want to do exploring this concept of both feeling your best and performing your best yeah we'll definitely do a whole episode i believe just all about that but as you said i think you know most human beings have had experiences of flow, even if they didn't use this technical term that Csikszentmihalyi eventually came up with. And my understanding was he was even inspired by talking to his research involved, talking with people all around the world about the moments when they felt their best and were performing their best and that the word flow just came up over and over again in the way that people described what it was like to be in this state. So let's even talk about the main characteristics of what is now called a flow state. So a huge aspect of it is about focus and being completely absorbed in a task. You get so focused on the task that everything else disappears. Your action and awareness seem to merge your sense of self vanishes time distorts it can appear to either speed up or slow down and then during this total absorption and rapt attention your mental and physical performance both go through the roof and you feel happiness you feel fulfilled and a flow state is associated with a healthy sense of well-being and increased happiness yeah and there have been, uh, in recent decades since since Csikszentmihalyi's book came out, there have been a lot of studies about uh, kind of the, the biological, uh, you know, physiological, neurological underpinnings of these states. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I want to distinguish one thing because you mentioned it's this; it has to do with this state of, you know, this heightened state of focus and complete absorption in uh, the task at hand. There are a couple of different ways to be completely absorbed by something and, and highly focused on it though. And so the one, the, the what we're talking about is the kind of positive side of that, the where your sort of value achievement system is activated, not the sort of flight, uh, fight, fight or flight response mechanism where you're trying to escape from a threat or something like that. So flow is where you're actually trying to achieve a positive value and you're but you're in a similar state of heightened focus and awareness, but it's a, a state where you have like these positive neurotransmitters. It is this 
peak experience as well as peak performance. Yeah, and we'll definitely, I think, get to explore this more. But to me, even one of the fascinating components of this experience is that it's simultaneously heightened arousal and also calm composure. That when those things come together, that's part of what flow is all about. But you're absolutely yeah. right that since Chick sent me high first, well, I think he even started working on this way back in the 70s. And then that flow book, that seminal book came out in the early 90s. It could have actually even been 1990, I believe. And then since then, there has been so many other developments, other people coming into the field that it's really now even gone beyond just the psychology of flow into the neuroscience of flow. And so hopefully on this podcast, we'll even be able to bring in a whole bunch of different experts to talk with us about flow and to really connect it to both of these topics of learning and travel. We know through many of these studies that flow increases learning and there is really even that virtuous cycle spiral experience that learning is necessary to get you into flow and that once you're in flow you learn better so that's something to experience and explore more and then we also I think want to talk about flow and travel interestingly no one, I believe, has really gone into doing some of the deep work here connecting flow and travel. So we're definitely becoming the pioneers in this, but it's a field that is, I think, ripe for exploration. Because as I see it, when people do describe what they love about travel experiences, as you were pointing out, all those people that on their deathbeds regret and wish they had done more travel, that what they were wishing for wasn't just quote unquote leisure, but was that experience of aliveness that I think is a flow state. Uh, we're going to yeah. talk about that there are triggers to flow. And one of the big triggers is novel, rich environments, which is what travel gives you. And so my sense is that even if we can uh, prevent what are often called the flow blockers and incorporate even more of the flow triggers, that part of what makes travel such a positive experience for people is precisely because it's getting us into a state of flow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first to go back to, I, I love what you said about flow combining the state of heightened arousal, but also calm composure. I, I picture Michael Jordan in the NBA finals, sinking <laughs> three-pointer after three-pointer, and then just kind of looking over and shrugging, like, I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely, I think travel is an optimal situation for a lot of those those flow triggers that have been identified like you said you know novel uh rich environments i mean yeah like the people that, that say they wish they traveled more on their deathbeds they're, they're talking about doing things you know like going to the grand canyon or niagara falls or galapagos these are novel rich environments where there, there's so much about the experience that is is new that it almost forces you, it kind of smacks you in the face. That you, you, it's, it's almost impossible not to be in a place like that and not have this sense of awe and, and just be completely absorbed in it. And, and that is a major flow trigger. And then, yeah, I, I think this definitely ties back into the continuous learning aspect as well, because flow 
you know, I, I mentioned some of the neurological underpinnings of it. And so flow is it's a state of peak performance, but it's it's not just that you're performing at your best, but it's also you're improving, you know, by it's it's practice to raise your, your standard of performance to the next level. Flow has also been correlated with people that are experts in any kind of domain. So, you know, people have heard about like the 10,000 hour rule that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become like a, to master a skill. What the studies have actually found, I mean, like that's sort of true, but it's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And <laughs> what studies have actually found is it's not just any kind of practice, but specifically what they call, you know, deep practice, which basically means learning in flow. You're, you know, you're actually deliberately or deliberate practice, I think they call it sometimes. So it's you're deliberately um, focusing on improving your skill at a task, which means you're actually deliberately aiming for that sweet spot that characterizes flow, a task being difficult enough to challenge you, but not difficult enough to completely overwhelm you. <laughs> the challenge so skills balance. Overwhelmed, right. That is basically, you know, the definition of flow and the definition of what it takes to really master a skill, uh, at least in a, in a really optimal way. And I think travel definitely can play a huge part in that as well, just both in the sense of you know, generally that it is so rich with these flow triggers that it can put you in this state that, that prepares you to uh, to learn more optimally because, you know, when you're in these unique, rich environments uh, and you are so focused and absorbed in them, you are just, you're going to remember it better, you know, like your, your brain is doing more work to physically rewire itself to retain all this, this wealth of new information. But also, you know, like on the level of specific travel activities you can do. I mean, like a lot of people travel specifically to do activities and sports and things that are specific flow triggers for them, you know, like rock climbing or kayaking or, you know, scuba diving or uh, snorkeling here in the Galapagos, different things like that. So all of those things definitely can uh, be flow rich experiences. What you're pointing out that the, the data has shown that this concept we have of the 10,000 hours to master a skill, that it is more nuanced and that flow is the secret ingredient, you could say, that you can absolutely shave thousands of hours off that, that 10,000 hours by pursuing your learning in a flow state. And then one of the catchphrases we have about flow, that the more flow you get, the more flow you get, that once you get into a flow state, it just makes it that much easier to get into another flow state and keep that flow cycle going. And that mm -hmm. is what I think we all want as human beings. We want to be performing our best and feeling our best. And the more that we can have flow experiences, the richer, better, more impactful lives we will live. So I think this even, if we put a pin here, I think hopefully we've we've put up enough of a, a teaser to get people interested in these explorations and what we're going to have yeah. in further conversations. So unless you wanted yeah, to say no, anything else just, about these, yeah, or um, then maybe we'll start to tell I, people about what else they can look forward to. Yeah, well, just to kind of jump on what you were saying there and kind of wrap it up, I. I definitely think, yeah, having more of these meaningful experiences is, um, you know, uh, again, what uh, Semi's colleague Martin Seligman has talked a lot about, meaning is one of the major aspects of a flourishing life. And 
what a meaningful experience is, is, is largely, uh, you know, connected with these experiences of, of learning and, and growth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you are really improving yourself, that gives people a sense of meaning. Travel and flow and continuous learning, that's kind of the nexus of, of all of those things. And so that's definitely what we want to keep exploring here. So let's tell everyone what else they can expect here with the podcast. So as I said, we're going to have more of these kinds of episodes, explore conversations where we'll bring on other experts, guests to talk about this integration of travel, continuous learning flow, and how it can really benefit entrepreneurs. If you want to contribute to this conversation and you're really interested in flow, we're going to have the Flow Book Club, which we are doing in collaboration with our friend Srikant, who runs the very active meetup group called 52 Living Ideas. So if you go to meetup.com, search out 52 Living Ideas, it's going to be starting up in July of 2021, this year, every other Friday. And we are going to start with the first seminal book on flow, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's book that is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And I'll just say quickly here that one of the flow triggers that we learn about is group flow. And for me, participating in some of the other meetups that Srikanta has put together with 52 Living Ideas, for me, it's one of my primary examples and in my personal life now, how I get into flow through group flow, through the really great community and setup that he has there. So I'm really looking forward to having that interactive component of exploring flow with a group of people through the flow book club. And yeah, then, totally yeah. And then I'm, we I'm really all, looking we, forward to that. <laughs> yeah. <Go ahead. laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'll just say, so Ash and, and our friend Maritza are going to be the facilitators there, but really it's, it's going to be a group of co-explorers going through the book in depth. Everyone gets an opportunity to share what they take away, what their questions are. It's going to be really exciting. I can't wait for that. And then just to mention the third kind of episode that we have here, they're the episodes that are called A Trip That Changed Me. And if you're hearing this one, you should already be able to hear the first of this, that series, the A Trip That Changed Me series, because I talked with Ash and Maritza when they were in Curacao. And so the idea with these episodes is that it's an opportunity to both explore a destination and go deeper with this idea that travel has this transformative potential. And whether that transformation is big or small, we want to explore the ways that travel can change people. And so that very first episode, we get to hear about Ash's experience of becoming a digital nomad writer and traveling to Curacao and developing this, this new perspective on work and travel. That's the big change. And we get to explore Curacao through their eyes. So definitely go 
check that one out as well. And I guess as we're mentioning all the other places to find us, uh, I'll just mention again, Delve Travel, the elite boutique travel agency for entrepreneurs offering luxury wellness experiences and retreat planning and management with this vision of travel as this catalyst for growth and development that entrepreneurs need. And Ash, why don't you tell people about where people can find you, your website? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can plug my website here too. So I uh, just set up a website here in the last couple of weeks since I got here to Galapagos, where I'm just kind of documenting my travels and uh, my ideas that I'm working on for my book. So if you want to follow any of that, you can find it at integrationism.com. So it's just integrationism, I-N-T-E-G-R-A-T-I-O-N-I-S-M.com. So yeah, that's a little bit of a mouthful made up word, but Hopefully, hopefully people can find it. Excellent. And I think unless there's anything else you want to say for today, otherwise I am totally looking forward to the book club coming up. We are just getting started in the beginning of July and then more explore conversations and more trips that change people. Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited for all of that. Thank you so much uh, for, for having me as a guest. Joya, I really yeah. appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun talking about this with you. And thank you to all of our listeners. I hope people do hear this and reach out to us and get involved. We're looking forward to meeting with you and getting people on the podcast and really championing these ideas of travel for learning and growth and development and flow as the important tool that will get us there. Till next time, everybody. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.